I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Our kids are growing up in public in a way that we never did. We all need to know about guiding our kids as they come of age in the digital world. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being our listeners and supporting our sponsors. Our kids are growing up in public in a way that we never did. Pregnancy pictures, baby videos, first day of school photos. Parents begin sharing photos of their kids at an early age. And then our kids get their first phones and social media and all of the associated pitfalls enter our lives in a new way. How do we help kids navigate this world where everything can be shared and compared. We're happy to have our returning guest, Devorah Heitner, who was the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World. And we're so glad you've written a new book, Devorah, Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. Thank you and welcome, Devorah. Thanks for being our go-to expert for all things digital. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So to say this is a whole new world for parents is an understatement. And I wonder, like, where should we be fearful? And how do we become more confident guides and coaches for our kids? I mean, I think, fear. you know, we, we should ha- try never to be like fearful, I guess, but it's understandable that we might be anxious or stressed. I think where we need to focus, you know, our energy is where are our kids getting anxious and stressed or where is their technology, you know, causing them to be out of balance in some aspect of their lives? You know, are they not getting enough sleep because they're staying up all night on discord? Are they really fretting about conflicts that they're having in a group text? So we really just need to look at their lives and say, how is this affecting them? Is this neutral? Is it mostly positive? And I think for most kids, there are aspects of their digital lives that are positive 
aspects that may be more neutral, like they didn't waste time on TikTok, would they be wasting it in another way, right? Like it's not necessarily like TikTok's issue. And then there might be some situations or parts of their digital lives that are causing them anxiety, stress, you know, sadness, feeling left out, overly comparing themselves. I mean, all kids and all of us compare ourselves, but if it's becoming, you know, sort of too central, And that's where we want to intervene. And it may not be intervene, like take away their phone, but it may be, you know, working with them, mentoring them, helping them learn how to navigate some of this stuff. And also even just becoming more in tune with their own distress so they can make their own decisions about maybe using certain things less. That requires uh, a certain amount of uh, understanding and conversation And I'm not sure a lot of parents are there yet, right? So Mm -hmm. in order to have those conversations and sort of really figure out with your kid, these are the parts that may be causing them anxiety. It takes a while to get to that point. I I see, and I'm sure you do too, Janet alluded Mm -hmm. to it. So many parents, not all, but so many do come at this from this place of fear and feel like my first step is to absolutely lock everything down and that can be good that can be appropriate um talk from that point even like is that the best way to start or is it better to start maybe with some training wheels and keep those lines of conversation open so that when kids encounter uncomfortable things which they will in every aspect of their lives that maybe you're more of a resource instead of this um obstacle to get around Definitely. I mean, I think we want to be a resource, but I think our kids don't always see us that way because they, (laughs) you know, are like, we are old and irrelevant and whatever. And sort of, I mean, hopefully nobody's actually saying, okay, boomer to us, um, especially mine have, never mind that I'm not a boomer Gen X or whatever. Yeah. Um, They're very confused about all of that. Um, (laughs) Like all those generations. And to be honest, like people are still confused about, you know, like people are calling today's kids millennials and they definitely are not. So everyone's confused about generation and how old people are. (laughs) But to to come back to like, of course, we want to be a resource. And some of that has to be like more quiet. Like we can't come out and be like, I know everything. I'm a resource. Like I wrote, I've written now two books on this topic and I still don't like try to shove myself in my kid's face and be like, I'm a resource on this. But, you know, like say he wants to add like Snapchat or Discord, I might be like, well, what do you want from those things? What, what could be annoying about those places? Like what, what are the sort of opportunities and challenges that you see, you mm. know? Um, and what are the, you know, ways that you've seen other kids behave maybe in these spaces that gives you a sense of how it might go for you. And, and I think that's where we can really tune into our kids discernment and their yeah. perspective and what they see other kids doing. So asking them, like, how have you seen other kids using this? Have you seen kids using this in a messed up way or in a positive way? What of your close friends, like, what are you seeing kids do there? And, and that, that can give you a really good sense of what you can maybe expect. One of the things you said there that I love, and this is why I follow you and why you are the person I trust on these. You mentioned tuning into our kids' discernment. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so important because our kids do have an understanding of these spaces and places that is different than ours. That's not saying that our adult perspective is not valuable, but our kids' perception of what's going on really matters. Can you elaborate on that a bit? So we really need to know what they what they think about the group text because it would be so much better if they decide in the end, like, mm, this group text is something I want to mute because it's getting really toxic versus if you say, 
The second you see a problem, get off the group text. It's a problem. Now, the the risk is always, say it's you're talking about a fifth or sixth grader, like their tender heart may get exposed to more crappy things if you wait. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if they feel like it's their decision that's more empowering in the long term and they're less likely to sneak and go around their own decision. Whereas if you, you know, mm. put in a mandate, you've got, and th- there are situations where I would like make my kid get off something like, you know, like if my kid says, you know, there's tremendous racist bullying going on in this group text, and I'm like really afraid, I would be like, okay, maybe you want to screenshot and report that and get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying there's never a situation where I might be like strongly pushing my kid to get out of a situation, but if they're like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here that I don't like, but there's some stuff I do like. It, it's kind of better if they make their own decision how to handle some of that, because we're not going to be there when, you know, their workplace slack gets a little toxic or they're an adult and they're on, you know, whatever Twitter and X become, and it becomes a little problematic. Like, so we need them to be able to make choices. And obviously this looks different in, in terms of how much support they'll need if they're you know, a little fifth or sixth grader versus a 10th or 12th grader and also how they're doing. I mean, if your kid is really struggling, we can always remind them that they have permission to leave, which is different than us making them leave, but reminding them like, you know, it's okay to get out of this situation. Like that's Mm -hmm. a helpful reminder. I mean, I've had therapists remind me, you know, you could quit that job that's so abusive. And it's like, oh, right. I could quit. Like, and even just opening up that, that framework is like, oh yeah. I had one point out to me yesterday. Like you don't have to do anything right now huh? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I guess you're right. You know, just even that you don't have to respond right now. And actually, that is advice that I gave to um, one of my sons. Well, they breakups in the 21st century when everybody's in constant connection is a whole nother thing. Like just because somebody can send you a message right now, doesn't mean you have to respond to it right now. 100%. And I think that 24 seven access to one another or the sort of feeling of 24 seven access to one another is a huge source of stress for a lot mm-hmm. of kids. And it's sort of you know, like emotional labor of feeling like you have to be accessible all the time is very stressful. But Deborah, our kids don't necessarily know the opposite of that. So it's hard to discern, am I stressed? I have to do this. So they don't necessarily see it as a stressor because it's such a part of their life. How do you kind of help them see that a little more clearly, help them see the other side of that, which they may not actually have experienced life without a phone? Well, I think you could say like, we'll do a thought exercise. Like imagine if you, you know, kept your Snapchat account, but took it off your phone for a week, or even just like hit the icon from yourself for a week, would that be more stressful or less stressful? Like those are kind of conversations we can have with our kids of just like thought experiments. Like I'm not saying I'm taking Snapchat from you and you can never do it again. And if you start to think, oh, maybe my life would be less stressful without this, or if I took a week off, that's good information. So you talked about mentoring rather than say monitoring it's it's out there like you should be monitoring your your kids snapchat or your text group text whatever it might be how do parents shift from that oh my gosh i have to oversee everything that's happening on my child's phone to oh i can be the underpinning be the support be the mentor well i think you want to first of all, you know, ideally cut down on the spying or the snooping for your own mental health. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I think, I think your own mental health and mental load needs to take priority. Like if you are reliving middle school Mm -hmm. 
or high school by reading all of the group text, A, like, how do you have time to also have a job, you know, and mm-hmm. also have, you know, care, give for your family. Like it's like too much. And you're never going to look at your kids' friends the same way. You will not like those kids mm-hmm. as much if you're on the group text. So I would strongly advise against it. And you are actually less in a position to support your kid in my experience. And I think in a lot of parents' experience, if you're buffeted by the same daily wins of, you know, adolescent ins and outs as your kid. So you want to be that like one step back, you know, that it, you know, hurts and can be, feel really bad to be left out. You know, that you understand that kids can be very casually cruel to one another at times and be very flip and sort of act like it's no big deal, but it's a huge deal and they all know it. And they can also be unintentionally oblivious to one another's feelings a lot at this age too. And I've seen all of those things play out with kids. And so it's important not to get too involved in the sort of ins and outs of things like the group text or every social post and be there for the sort of big picture for your kid, including for your kid to evaluate their relationships over time. And you know, is this a friend I'm sticking with? Maybe this is a friend I really like and I'm happy to sit with them at lunch, but I never want to play video games with this kid because they're a terrible loser and they get really angry and go ballistic, but they're actually a really fun, nice person in other ways. Like that's something you can get to on your own, but you can't get to it with your mom just being like, I saw this kid on Discord being a big jerk. You can't ever talk to them again because maybe there's more nuance there. Yeah. You know, and you're only seeing the little slice that you're seeing with your snooping or whatever. And they're seeing the bigger picture of like, this is actually a really, you know, a friend who actually shows up for me and is loyal and is great. And just, you know, maybe has some issues like when they play video games. So I'm going to like enjoy their relationship. Just like maybe I might have friends. I don't know. I don't play tennis. So this is a fake example, but like, maybe you have a friend who's (laughs) really great, but like, you're never going to play mixed doubles with them again. Cause like they are their doubles partner is like, you know, a big jerk on the court, but like, you'd be happy to have lunch with this person or go to yoga with this person or do a million other things with this person. Let your kid come to that themselves. Again, unless this person is threatening or harming your child, then you may need to take more steps. But if this is just like, I've seen the discord and I don't like this kid's language, but it's not, you know, hateful or threatening. It's just gross to me or whatever. Like that's probably a decision you want to let your kid come to you. That's a really good point too. And I can see how as a parent, who's no longer working with an adolescent brain, but perhaps has adolescent trauma left over, as we all do, it can take a toll on your mental health to be immersed in that. Because as the adult, you see you see things and you're like, how can you talk like that? And yet kids are immature. They communicate immaturely. Uh, some of the things that they find funny, amusing, or interesting, we don't anymore. Some of the ways in which they talk are not how we talk. doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's it's different. And what we see in any one interaction is not the sum total of a person or a relationship. So that's a really important reminder too. What you see on your kid's phone may be part of that, but it does not necessarily reflect all of the human on the other side. And if you're looking at your own kid's communication, you might be surprised and disappointed. And it's it's yeah. one thing to say, if you call up your kid and they answer in a rude way, like what? <laughs> you can be like, hey, let's have do-overs on that, you know, and that's fine. But if you are reading their communication and, you know, like, like over time, like one thing, you know, like one might coach your kid um, instead of just saying no to plans or nah, or I'm busy to say like, if this is someone you would like to see at another time, you could say, I can't right now, but let's try another time to kind of keep the door open. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that that is like some social coaching that might be valuable because you might have like a sixth grader who turns down plans by being like, no, I can't. And they don't say, 
And maybe they're not going to give them a whole soliloquy because kids are very brief on text, many of them, and especially boys, frankly, Uh um, brief. And that can come through okay to their friends. I mean, one of the things I've noticed again, in like watching my son communicate with his friends, like an example would be like, he saw his friend play a rock show recently and the friend was really good. And my son was like, really enjoyed it. And was like, that was really good. And he was like, Hey, you were really good, better than expected. (laughs) It's like, that's such a rude thing to say. And the friend was totally fine with it. And I was like, Oh, guys are different. And yeah. it may well reflect a whole conversation and some joking around that happened. That exactly. You but like, to. it truly was a sincere compliment. And the other yes. kids took it that way is the point. And I was like worried because I was like, wait, that's not how I would, where I would go. Mm-hmm. But my kid and their, and the, you know, his friend were like, fine. And so I also think we don't want to apply our standards at the same time when I see, you know, in sixth or seventh grade, a kid, like, again, responding to a, an invitation with just nope or nah, instead of, oh, I can't because my grandma's here. Could we try another time? I'm always like, well, let's leave the door open. If this is truly someone you would like to have mm-hmm. a plan with, mm-hmm. and and not just that you, you're trying to kind of quietly blow them off, but you actually do want to see them, but you can't right now, like, like at least say like, let's, you know, let's do another time or just something to kind of keep that door open. And that's like some social coaching that you might only get to if you're seeing their texts. But I would look at those texts with permission. Another thing I've seen when I look at texts with permission is like, oh, we're having a lot of trouble making a plan. And I'm like, oh, I don't see anyone proposing a time or a date on this thread. Like that might help get the ball rolling, (laughs) you know, because we're moving from like mom influence plans or dad influence plans to like kid influence plans, which is a huge part of adolescence. But I think especially because of the pandemic, a lot of our kids are a little delayed in their like plan making capacity. (laughs) How to make a plan. So Devorah, what happens when things go wrong? And I bet you have lots of examples of, when things go wrong? When things go wrong. Yeah. So like when things go wrong and there's like a video going around of like a kid doing something really dumb, like say vaping or, you know, using alcohol or other illegal drugs, um, just as an example, you know, what we don't want to do is like circulate that video to do further harm to that kid's reputation, right? We don't want to make it worse. Um, if it's your kid, obviously you want to sort of find out more about the story of what happened. But in growing up in public, I share the story of a boy who just posed at a party with some vape stuff and like was not vaping and was just trying to be cool posing for this picture. And of course you could say like any kid could say that, but there was really no sign that this kid actually was, you know, in this case, like using nicotine or, you know, using vapes to use other substances. And so it really was like just a dumb moment of bad judgment. I'm not saying like, that's what we should think when we see any evidence of substance use. But in this case, it really was like the kid just had this dumb idea that it would be fun Mm -hmm. to pose with all these things. And then it got circulated around and it really tarnished the kid's reputation and it affected him socially and it affected the way parents thought about him. And I was just like, we have to be really careful that we don't take things out of context you know, like a dumb joke that a kid kid makes, or like, you know, you'll see kids sometimes like another example I've seen. And again, this is, this is really harmful. And I would definitely teach kids not to do this, but you know, here in Chicago, where I live, there'll be kids who as a joke will like throw a gang sign in a Mm -hmm. photo with friends. Well, that's a very dumb idea. And Mm -hmm. we shouldn't do that. Um, And we shouldn't make rude gestures with middle fingers. Like there's a million things we shouldn't do, but we also shouldn't overreact if somebody does that and immediately criminalize them or immediately trash their reputation in the community. So I think we also have to remember that like a lot of things can seem funny in the moment to the adolescent brain and they're much primed for the rewards of this is going to be hilarious and everyone's going to love it and maybe less 
aware of the risks or how this looks out of context. And of course, like with the gang sign thing, we also see that different kids will get in different kinds of trouble. Kids who are already more likely to be targeted because of their race or ethnicity by over-policing and over-criminalization will get in way more trouble than a kid, like a white kid in an affluent school like everyone would be like, oh, that's so funny. They threw a gang sign. And if somebody does it even as a joke in another context or with another identity, yeah. it might not get taken as a joke. And that's very unfair. Like these are very unfairly, you know, harsh consequences for one kid over another. But I would say in all of those cases, we need to remember like this is a teenager. <laughs> you know, yes, that's so important. And it seems like we shouldn't have to tell our fellow adults this because think about it near 100% certainty that you did at least one stupid thing at some point growing up that you're glad there's not pictures of still. 100%. I mean, I think like 100% of parents shared something with their friends, wrote something down in their diary, which for a lot of kids like Tumblr or social media feels like a diary, said something out loud, made a gesture, you know, wrote a note or, you know, did something and that they would never want repeated, shared, et cetera. And that's why we should be supporting and empathizing with kids growing up in the digital age. And there's, you've mentioned reputation and, you know, there's a long footprint of this. And so what if the kid who was shown pretend vaping, how do you erase that and move past that? Or is that going to keep coming up when he's you know, looking for his first job and his employer is doing the research. It shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't. Ideally, we would have what kids have in the UK and Europe, which is the right to be forgotten. More about the right to be forgotten after these messages from our sponsors. As Mother's Day is coming around, I find I'm missing my mom more and more. And there's always questions and stories I wish I had asked her when she was still here. I do remember that I gave her a book once upon a time with questions for her to write the answers to, and bless her heart, she didn't answer very many, so that was really a disappointment. But fast forward to now, and technology, and now we have mylifeinabook.com. It takes all those questions and stories, and it puts it in a format that is sent to your person, whoever you designate, on a regular basis so that the prompts come, they're easily answered either written or voice to text, and they're captured by mylifeinabook.com. These family stories, this legacy that you want to leave for your children and your grandchildren. Mylifeinabook.com, create an unforgettable gift for your mom, your dad, your children this Mother's Day. Use our coupon code ONBOYS for 10% off. Go to mylifeinabook.com and use ONBOYS for 10% off. Create that legacy. Carry on those stories. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. 
But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y, dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S, dot com forward slash onboys which is things you posted before 18, you should be able to take down from the internet. Now, I mean, I think a lot of us would say, well, brain development, let's go with 26, but the legal thing should be 18. And and kids still are accountable for what they post. So I'm, what I'm not saying is kids who cause harm shouldn't have to make repair, shouldn't be any, you know, have any accountability. But I am saying what you say when you're 12 or 13, for example, that you've recanted and apologized for in that time and place should not come back when you're 30 and applying for a job. And I really do believe that. And I think it's very important that we, as adults who care about kids, fight for that right to be forgotten and at the same time, advise our kids that that doesn't currently exist. And so even if you hate someone, be careful about throwing them under the bus. You know, that's what I loved about uh, you're so not invited to my bat mitzvah is like, actually, it's not the kid's plan to disparage her friend with video. Like she wouldn't go there. That's the third rail. It's just that the mom gets on her kid's computer and sends the video without permission. It's a it's a movie. But in this case, like the kid had that sort of third rail of like really damning videos about her friend and she's mad at her friend enough to like make the video montage on her computer and look at it. But she's not mad, even though the friends in the moment have actually like broken up and she's quite hurt by this friend and the friend has kissed the boy that she liked and there's big bad blood between them. She does not send the video. It's her mom that unwittingly sends the video, not knowing that it's a bad video, but sends the video to the other friend's family to use as the bat mitzvah video, which is like, you know, has terrible consequences. We may not want to use some of this because it is a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm going to guess by the time this comes out, a lot of the people who have wanted to see this movie will have seen it. So I don't know if it's a big spoiler, but I do think it's really interesting that even though they're really mad, the kid does not go with the third rail. Why does she not do it? I think for one thing, mutually assured destruction. If you're close enough with someone that you have some damning video of them, guess what they have on their little phone? Exactly. Got some damning video of you. Like like she had a video with boogers. Uh You can believe that her friend had something like that on her phone probably too, because kids have all this stuff. And I think we need to teach kids like, do not wield that power over your people. In your experience working with kids, you talk with a lot of students as well. Are kids kind of developing like their own culture and their own sets of informal guidelines for, you know, this is fair game. This is not fair game. Yes. I think that kids do have their own rules, you know, for what's fair game to post and what's not. I think a lot of kids, for example, when they're applying to college, make a plan in their friend group about how they're going to share that information with one another before anyone posts it just as one example. And I think that's very intelligent because 
you know, the communities get very focused on where kids are going to school. That has a lot of damaging costs and consequences. I think, you know, high school shouldn't really have those Instagram accounts with everyone in their sweatshirt. I think it's messed up. I think it promotes a lot of pressure and promotes, you know, some very narrow ideas about what success looks like. But kids are in their way very intelligently and very empathetically with one another navigating that by actually making plans with one another about sharing that information more privately and also celebrating one one another's rejections as well as acceptances together. And I love that about kids. I think that kids are very thoughtful with one another about the ways they use digital communication. What do you hear from kids? What are their concerns about growing up in public versus what are parents' concerns about kids growing up in public and how much overlap or not is there in those two spheres? Oh my gosh, I love this question. Okay, so I think that parents are more worried about things like college admissions when they think about growing up in public. They're worried that like Princeton or Berkeley won't take their kid because you know they posted like a dumb, rude gesture on video or something like that, which is, I think, a less accurate worry. Kids are worried about getting either canceled by their peers, like they something that they share will go around school and it will totally undermine their ability to ever have a friend. Mm. Or they're worried about their parents embarrassing them by bragging about where they got into college or by showing their violin recital online in full or just taking a really unflattering picture of them on a bad hair day and posting it everywhere. And there needs to be that conversation and that agreement of what are you going to post? What aren't you going to post? Where are the boundaries both with the kids and the parents? We had the discussion in our family. Um, as many of our listeners know, I have a grandson who's 18 months. Janet, as all of our listeners Everyone know. knows. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> Devorah, I have an 18-month-old grandson, but it was definitely a conversation with his parents of, are we sharing pictures online of this sweet little baby? And it was about a year before they were ready to say, yeah, it's okay to share in your Facebook group or whatever. But even then, I'm super uncomfortable sharing. I very seldom, I will say very seldom share his photo and more likely would be a uh, something from the back rather Mm. than than his face. I'm really curious about that personally. Why? Good question. why, Why not to share? Yeah. 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 Like, you know, why are you uncomfortable with that personally? And then uh, Devorah, I'd like to hear um, your thoughts on this, because it seems like this is some of the people who are our parents now who are coming up as like sort of the first wave of social media are making that choice to like not put their kids out there. And I'm wondering, I'd like to hear from you how common that is and what your thoughts are on that. So Janet, what what is your why? Why? Not? I think my why is it's personal and it's him. It's his life and the footprint that will carry through for him. So we have a, you know, we have a personal group that we share photos and that kind of thing. And that feels like plenty. I don't need to show him taking his first steps to the world because it's just private and personal. And Deborah, I want you to, to address this too, is there's now there's the AI, they can take any photo and make it anything they want. So talk about that, add that into the. Well, I think, mix. I think that's that issue of facial recognition is a huge privacy issue. That's like coming for all of us. And, you know, you shared uh, Jess Gross's newsletter with me this morning, which was so nice of you that she, and she wrote about growing up in public in the New York Times parenting newsletter. And she also wrote about this um, other book by Nita Farahaney 
that's about, you know, privacy and about one of the implications is, you know, how will any of us have any privacy, even thought of privacy, which mm-hmm. is just terrifying, right? Like yeah, it is. monitoring kids, like strapping stuff to their, to their head. So to come back to like, why not to share their, your kids on social, you don't know that sharing their, you know, if you share on their birthday, you're giving identity theft people their birthday. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a lot of pieces to privacy. I think most kids that I talk to experience it more as like, this could be embarrassing when my parents post those old pictures of me for, and you know, when I'm a toddler and I'm now in middle school, that's embarrassing. Like they experience that risk more, the sort of direct, like right. my parents are connected on social media to people that I'm connected with. And that picture of me in my footy pajamas does not go with my fourth grade street cred. And I feel really embarrassed and violated. And it's important to honor that respect and, and privacy so that kids feel safe at home and they don't feel violated. But this bigger picture algorithmic violation that I I also talk about in the book sort of as big privacy and small privacy, like small privacy would be like your friends in fourth grade, seeing it on their mom's Facebook and big privacy is like this algorithmic searchable facial recognition stuff, which is also terrifying. We don't know all the implications. So it might be better not to create this huge trail. And I shared my kid when he was little too. And he has thoughts about that. And I've had to go back and like take pictures down. And if you look at my Instagram, You'll see like no pictures of my kid. You'll be like, she has a kid, right? And he's like, you know, taller than me now. It'd be so fun to share some pictures, but he's just not, he's not, it's like, I'm not allowed. And I strongly advocate for him, probably said the last time we talked, um, you know, for the podcast, I probably said this, because I've been saying this since 2012, do not share pictures of your kids without their permission. And as a bait with babies and toddlers, maybe we don't ask for permission, but we just go very conservatively or don't do it at all. Or we share in a limited way. And then as they get older, I would ask them. Yeah. That lets them create the boundary, which is such good practice for them of any kind of boundaries. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I have noticed that uh, they do with their friends too, right? You know, they all have their phones out and they're taking pictures of whatever it is they're doing or whatever the event is. Mm -hmm. They check with each other for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like, which pics are you comfortable with me sharing? Because, I mean, 101, we're all self-conscious about how we look. If I look stupid in that picture, that's not the one I want you to share. Hey, exactly. I've seen them do that. And especially, you know, my kids are, as they become teens, like, don't you dare parents post a picture of your teen without getting their permission, because that just has such potential to frankly piss them off and, you know, destroy, not permanently, but harm that relationship at a point when you really do need to be building up as much trust as possible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you need them to be able to come to you as a resource. And if they feel like, oh, my parents are just all about embarrassing me, then they're going to like avoid you. They're not going to, you know, like if, if your kids don't want to hang out with you, like maybe it's because you're turning into a paparazzi. I mean, there are probably a lot of reasons teenagers want their space. I'm not saying it's all our fault or anything, but I am saying, you know, the, some of it's developmental and very appropriate, but we don't want to like add to that dynamic. I recently shared pictures and Janet, I'm sure you saw them. Um, my youngest worked on this patio project, paver patio project outside. And, you know, he he has his own business and he's a kid in the 21st century. So he also has his own business Instagram account. So I know he's posting pictures there. And he, you know, he knows that these photos are only going to do him good. But I check with him. I'm like, okay, can I share this photo? Yes, that's mm-hmm. okay. His older brother was here this weekend. That brother initially started a lawn business. I took the two of them. Can I share? Like, are you both okay with me sharing this photo? Yes. You can see it mm-hmm. on my Facebook page. Brief pause for these messages from our sponsors. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Devorah, thank you so much for being the wise and all-seeing person in this realm to guide parents in this whole new world that we did not grow up in. Well, the older of us did not grow up in. And as Jen said, you know, there is that new wave of parents who, young parents, grew up with all of this. And so it's a little more familiar, but we do need a guide and you are definitely that wise guide for us. So thank Thank you. you. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these issues. And I, you know, and I, it just, it is legitimately not easy. And I think it's really important for parents to feel like they're, they're not alone and they can, they can talk to other people about, about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your new book is growing up in public coming of age in a digital world. Where can our listeners find you? Surely you're doing yeah. some speaking and yes, I am everywhere. I'm going to be all over the country this fall and winter. And um, my speaking schedule is both on Instagram and on my website, devorahheitner.com and at devorahheitnerphd. The book is in all the places you can get books. And I am really enjoying traveling around and speaking at schools and companies with parents because I think everyone needs to be in this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for being our guiding light in that. Thank you. We hope this has been a valuable conversation for you. Please share it with a friend. Share it with your children's teachers. This is the On Voice Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. And I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being here.